been many weeks since we've been in 1 Corinthians, but we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, tonight. If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's enjoy the Lord. Let's enjoy his word. Enjoy the opportunity to draw near to him. Let's pray together. Father, it's so good to be able to teach your word again. I don't want to take it for granted. So thankful that you have allowed me to continue to live, to see another day, to be here right now. Lord, I thank you for my church family, Rocky Mountain Calvary, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know that there's many that are going through hardship. God, would you comfort them? Would you be their peace, their prince of peace, giving them peace that surpasses understanding? And as we learn from Paul's life tonight, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? We welcome you, Holy Spirit, right now to lead us and to guide us in truth. So, God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is dealing with a divided church. The church of Corinth is unhealthy. He's writing this letter to try to get things back in order. The first issue that he addresses is division. They're dividing into camps of, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. They're putting their focus on their pastors, on their spiritual leaders, instead of upon Christ to the point where they're dividing with each other. They're not being in fellowship with each other. Also, something that's happened to Paul is they're starting to undermine him and not trust him as an apostle and a leader and a pastor. So in this chapter, he's laying this foundation of how that they should see the Apostle Paul, of how that they should view Apollos, and more importantly, how that they should view Christ. As Paul is sharing his heart, he really opens up his heart in chapter 4. There's three words I want you to focus on, and the first is faithful. He's going to emphasize that they're faithful servants, faithful stewards. The second word is fool. He declares that he, he has become a fool for Christ. He's lost his reputation for Christ. And then lastly, a father, a spiritual father that he's caring for the church of Corinth, not as an instructor, not as a, a teacher, but as a father. So join me in verse one. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the ministry of God, saying this is how you should view us your spiritual leaders, your elders, your pastors, the apostles, that were simply servants of Christ. This is how Paul saw himself. This is how he was wanting to be viewed by the church of Corinth as saying, guys, don't elevate me or don't elevate Apollos, but we're simply servants of God. Also, we're stewards of the mystery of God. Now, what is a steward? A steward is someone who has been entrusted to take care of something that doesn't belong to them. In this ancient culture, those that were wealthy would turn over their affairs to a steward, and the steward would watch over everything and many times even run the business. But it didn't belong to them. And what Paul says is, I'm simply a, a steward of the mysteries of God. God has entrusted these to me to be faithful with these things, 
But it's God who owns these things. It's God who embodies these truths. What are the mysteries of God? Well, Christ in us, the hope of glory, is the mystery of God. Colossians tells us that Christ could live inside of us. Also, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3 and says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. We too have been entrusted with the mysteries of God. We get to steward the mysteries of God that Jesus came in human flesh, died for sin, rose again, and ascended up into heaven. And we will have to give accounts for how we stewarded this mystery that's been entrusted to us. Paul gives us a truth in verse 2. He says, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. First key word. We need to be found faithful. A steward has to be faithful. If a steward is not faithful, they would get canned. They would lose their job. They would not be allowed to continue with the responsibility that has been given to them. I I don't know if you've ever had the blessing and the burden of caring for something that doesn't belong to you. I remember when I was uh, in school ministry in Southern Oregon, my aunt and uncle, they would allow me to use their truck on the weekends when I had some time off of, of school. And it was a huge blessing. My uncle always takes great care of his vehicles. And as I was driving his vehicles, I always had this pressure. I I don't want to get an accident in my uncle's truck. I want to be a a faithful steward and to to care for this. I think we would all say, man, I would rather get an accident in my own vehicle than to wreck somebody else's vehicle that they've entrusted to me. And so Paul gives us this truth and declares to us, that we need to be found faithful before the Lord. And he expounds this concept of faithfulness, that our faithfulness is before the Father. Paul's faithfulness is before God. It's not before others. Verse 3, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. So as we're trying to monitor and evaluate, well, what is faithfulness? It's not what other people think about us. It's not if other people say, well, you're faithful or you're unfaithful. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. We're not the final authority on our faithfulness, nor is there someone else. And God wants to to free us from this place of, well, what does other people think about us? You know, the human court, as Paul puts it, is very fickle. And people will, in one moment, think that you're doing great, in another moment, think that you're an absolute failure. And Paul says, no, I'm not living in the human court and how they're rating me on faithfulness. I'm not even trying to evaluate myself. I want to know, from God's perspective, does God consider me to be faithful? That's what matters. In verse 4, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. Paul says, I have short accounts with God. I'm keeping short accounts with God. I don't have something that is hidden in my life 
but I know that that's not what justifies me. And then he gets us to the steak and potatoes. He gets us to the main point, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. God's the one who evaluates us. God's the one who judges us. I want you to hear this. Maybe you're headed to the kitchen to get a refill. I want you to hear this. Is The Lord is not judging us in terms of whether we're saved or not. That's not the judgment that is being spoken here. We know as children of God, if we trust Christ for our salvation and declared him the Lord of our life, that we've received salvation by grace. But we do know that our lives are gonna pass before a fire. How we live our lives as a believer, we're gonna have to give an account to the Lord. Imagine that for, for just a moment. Standing before the Lord and God saying, what did you do with your life that I've entrusted to you? What did you do with the gifts that I've entrusted to you? What, what did you do with the mysteries of God that I have trusted to you? And we'll have to give an account before the Lord. And we are encouraged in verse five to not judge anything before it's time. We don't see what God sees. God sees everything that's in the dark. God also sees what's inside of our hearts and we don't see those things. So we may evaluate someone and go, wow, they're faithful, they love the Lord, they're serving the Lord, but God sees their heart and he sees something entirely different. Or God sees what's happening in the darkness and he sees something that is entirely different. But the freedom of these verses in faithfulness when we say, I've got an audience of one, I wanna be faithful unto the Lord as we don't have to live by the praise or the complaints of men. Hopefully, you're not living for the approval of your spouse, that I've gotta have the praise of my spouse, or I've gotta have the praise of my kids, or my coworkers, or my, my neighbors. My, my lawn has to meet the neighborhood standard. But to let each man's praise come from God. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter one. He says, for do now I persuade men or God? Who am I trying to please? Men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You can't please God and men. If we're gonna be a bondservant of Christ, we have to choose to serve the Lord. I wanna pause here for just a moment in this exhortation from scripture to be faithful. Affliction tests our faithfulness. In this time of difficulty where our routine is off, where there's so much question about the future, so many things that are unknown. When are we gonna be able to go back to work? When is the barbershop gonna open? When are restaurants gonna, gonna open? What about this and what about that? We can easily allow ourselves to come into a place of compromise. I want to encourage you from God's word tonight in this area of faithfulness. 
Be faithful unto the Lord, not based upon the circumstance. For those of you that are married, be faithful in your marriage unto the Lord. Don't look at your spouse. Look to the Lord and say, man, I am committed to my spouse. I would hate to hear that during this time in the stress of COVID that it tore marriages apart. No, stay faithful to the Lord by being faithful to your spouse. Don't allow that wedge to come in there. Don't be planning for that divorce. You may be planning your divorce right now. In the midst of the stress and the challenge, you decided to throw in the towel and God's saying no. Based on the fact that you're gonna give an account to God, stay faithful in your marriage. Stay faithful in your work. It's an interesting time to be trying to do our work and many of us working from home and to the best of your ability, be faithful. God's able to use the five loaves and the two fish. Give him your crumbs. Say, Lord, I'm getting up today, this week, and I'm being faithful in my work unto you. Don't allow this to be a time where pornography sneaks into your life. I've got all this time on my hands and here comes this temptation, so I'm gonna use the time for, for pornography. No, be faithful un, unto the Lord. Allow the faithful one to equip us and challenge us to say, I am gonna be faithful. As we are weak and we are tempted to rely upon his strength and his power, we don't have to do it on our own. Verse six, now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. So Paul's saying the reason that I am writing these things is to try to solve this division that's taken place where we've got camps of saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos, and Paul's saying, no, don't allow yourself to get puffed up one against another. It's wrong for us to think that we're greater than someone else or to look at a spiritual leader and think that for some reason they're greater because no one, Paul and Apollos included, is given a pass on sin. Paul's a sinner. Apollos is a sinner. And so they're tools, they're servants of God, they're stewards of the ministry, but the focus is to be on Christ, not to be on Paul or Apollos. It's amazing to me that so many years later, we're still struggling with these same things. It seems that we want to focus on the personality of pastors. And in our day and age, pastors can almost become celeb celebrities, and we want to put a pastor on a pedestal, just like they, they were doing with Paul and Apollos. And we tend to think that pastors don't struggle with sin. Well, I got to tell you, pastors struggle with sin. We're all sinners and we're all deeply flawed. And unfortunately, pastors falling into sin has been proof of that and evidence of that. When you hear me teach or anyone else teach, you have to understand we're all sinners. Some people think that, well, pastors' families must be different. No. Just because you're married to a pastor or your dad happens to be a pastor doesn't mean that you don't get a pass on, on sin. We're all in this together. We're all sinners that are saved by grace. 
And tonight, you may have your eyes overly on a mentor, on a pastor, on an author, someone who does a podcast, and please, please, please put your eyes upon Christ, and don't allow ourselves to be puffed up in this manner of saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, we're of Christ. Amen? Can I get an amen? Anybody shout amen in your house? Verse 7, for who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you do not receive? Now, if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? One thing to note in this is that we are different. God has made us different by design. Paul and Apollos have different strengths and weaknesses. It's the body of Christ, and they have different gifts, but God has given them to us. So in our own lives, think about it. What's made you different from someone else? The Lord. The Lord is the one. And so the Lord is the emphasis. Verse 8. You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we might also reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death, For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Paul says, look, your status in society, the church of Corinth, you guys reign. You're on the top of society. You're looked up to by the city and by your peers and your neighborhood and your friends. But he says, we as apostles, we have been condemned to death and our lives have become a spectacle to the world where you would look on in shame. You would look on and distest what you're seeing. The word spectacle, it means theater. Paul's life was on display like a movie, and he was condemned to death. He was condemned to suffer. In verse 10, we get our second key word, and it's fools. Paul says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished but we are dishonored. To this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Paul saw the cause of Christ to be so great, the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross and this commitment to get the love of Jesus out to those that don't know the Lord, that he was willing to be hungry. He was willing to thirst. He was willing to to be poorly clothed. Can you picture the Apostle Paul poorly clothed, not having adequate clothing because he's suffering for Christ? He saw Christ to be so worthy that he was willing to be beaten, that he was willing to be homeless, that he was willing to give up a roof over his head and security. In verse 12, and we labor working with our hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. Paul was a tent maker, and this is how he supported his ministry, is that he would labor with his own hands so that he wouldn't be a burden to God's people. He chooses to not respond evil for evil, 
When those would revile him, he would bless. When he was persecuted, he'd choose to endure. And he makes this incredible statement here. He says, we have been made as the filth of the world. The filth of the world. We think about what Jesus has done for us. He knew no sin, but he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus used the illustration from the Old Testament when the children of Israel were in the wilderness grumbling and complaining. Fiery serpents were sent to bite them. They began to die. God told Moses, lift up a bronze serpent on a pole and everyone who looks at the serpent will be saved. Jesus said that he is that serpent lifted up on a pole. He became sin for us. He took our sin upon himself and was punished by the Father so that we could be the righteousness of God. Paul is following Christ's example while he says, I'm willing to become the filth of the world. I'm willing to become a fool. I'm willing for unbelievers and believers alike to think that I am a fool and reject me so that I can win some for Christ. I want to get to the heart of this, is many times our reputation is more important to us than the cause of Christ. We really do care what people think of us. I believe that's where the church of Corinth was. They're more concerned with being distinguished in society than identifying themselves as a follower of Christ, even though they're believers. Do we care more about what the other parents think of us on our kids' soccer team, or do we care about those families knowing who Jesus is? Because let's be honest, if we share Christ with those that are in our lives, families, friends, strangers, they may go, you're a fool. You're an absolute fool that you believe in Jesus. And it is not fun to wear the fool label, isn't it? In college and universities, online classes that are taking place, if you speak up for the cause of Christ, you may get the fool label, right? If your co-workers know that you are committed to Christ, you may be rejected. Some of you have experienced this in your family. And so we have this fear and we're holding on to our reputation. We want to be distinguished. We don't want to cross over this line and say, I'm willing to be a fool for Christ. Please don't misunderstand. Not that we act foolish or do things that don't reflect who, who Jesus is, that we're not using wisdom. I and mean, Jesus loved people. He answered questions wisely so it's not this justification to act in a foolish way, but what Paul is saying is I'm willing to take the label. I'm sure there was people that are like, what, Paul, you're homeless? Even believers that would go to him and say, what are you doing? You're such a bright intellectual man and you're, you're homeless? What's the deal, Paul? Like, why, why do you have those, those clothes? Why, you don't have any food. You're not caring for your, your future. Remember, Paul, before he got saved, he was on the upper echelon of the Jewish society. We're going to study that in more detail in Philippians 3 on Wednesday night. 
The moment that he received Christ as his savior, he lost all social status and he's willing to do it. And he was willing to live inside of that space and say, I'm willing to be a fool for Christ. Jim Elliott, who is a famous missionary in South America, was challenged, why are you going on the mission field? You have so many talents and you could make so much money here in the States and support other missionaries, people coming down on him for for serving Christ. And he has this famous quote in response to being accused of being a, a fool. He said, you're not a fool to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. He had that eternal perspective in saying, I'm willing to give up these monetary things. I'm willing to give up this security in this life to try to gain souls for all of eternity. So let's search our hearts in this. Where's our identity wrapped up in? And is our identity found in being a follower of Christ and being loved by him? Or are we looking to be distinguished in this world? Does our status and our reputation amongst those that know Christ more important to us than the cause of Christ? In verse 14, we get into this last section. It brings us to our third word, and Paul is a father. He's a spiritual father to the church of Corinth. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. That's the heart of a dad, isn't it? I'm not shaming you. I don't want you to feel beat up, but I am warning you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ, I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul gives us this understanding that there's a difference between an instructor and a father. You have 10,000 instructors in Christ. You have many that teach you in Christ, but Paul says, I'm a spiritual dad to you because I saw you come to know Christ through the gospel. There's always a special bond if God uses you in someone's life for them to receive Christ as their savior. And so Paul feels this parental care over the church of Corinth. Verse 16, therefore I urge you, imitate me. Not that Paul's perfect, we've covered that, but Paul is an example for the church of, church of Corinth to be able to follow. You've probably heard this. Things are more caught than taught, right? That's the beauty of a father. There's verbal instruction that a parent will give, but the main lessons that we learn from our parents are not the verbal ones. We watch their life over time and we see who, they're, who they are. And Paul says, I want you to imitate me in this analogy of a father and a child, the way that a child would imitate a father. He's showing his fatherly care in verse 17. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy is a young man. Paul's protege, his mentee, and he's going to send Timothy to the church of Corinth. Now, some are puffed up, some are angry, as though I were not, a, not coming to you. 
oh, it's not the Apostle Paul. Why are we getting Timothy? Why are we getting the young man? Again, that shows a spiritual immaturity. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. It says, if God wills, I'll come to you. He knows that his plans are ultimately in God's hands. If it's God's will, he'll be able to visit the church of Corinth, but he's not going to hear any of the critics that are puffed up and angry that Timothy came instead of Paul. In verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So the power of God through the word of God. This is a classic dad statement. This shows Paul's heart as a spiritual father. He says, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? (laughs) You guys choose. You want a spiritual spanking or a spiritual encouragement? Do you want me to show up with the rod or do you want me to come in a spirit of gentleness? Let's contemplate this third focus word, this third point tonight of of a father. When I think of a spiritual father in my life, one man comes to mind, and his name is Rich Wright. I went to two years of Bible college and then a school ministry at my home church. And after I got out of Bible college and school ministry, I assumed as a young man that there'd be so many churches that were just ready to hire me and give me an opportunity as, as a youth pastor. And to my surprise, so many churches were like, no, we're good, we're good, you know, that those, those type of things. And one of my roommates in school ministry, his dad pastored a church in Nampa, Idaho, Calvary Chapel, Nampa. And I went and visited Calvary Chapel, Nampa, and sat down in Rich's office, and I'll never forget it. Rich was a retired police officer and then had pastored a church and was older and sitting across his desk, and he says, Eric, we can't afford to pay you anything, but if you decide to move here and start to serve, I'll treat you like one of my own sons. And that was the first time that I had ever met him. So I moved to Nampa, Idaho, and I had had a lot of great instructors in Bible college and school ministry and men that I really respect and am thankful for. But there was a different relationship that developed with Pastor Rich. And he cared for me as a spiritual dad. When I first got to to Nampa, my buddy Brent was getting a, a house built and it was behind. So Rich let me live in his home. And at that time, Brent was living there. One of his other sons, uh, one of his daughters, they had a foster son. So I made the fifth adult living in that house. And it was a, a modest home, but they made room for me. And his wife, Myrna, she, you know, cook, cooked and just, they just welcomed me into uh, their family. And as I served under Rich for a year, I was doing their college and career, he would pull me into his office once a week. Say, hey, okay, come in here and, and let's talk. And he would read my mail. He'd just get inside of my soul, things that he could see in me that I couldn't see in myself, and he challenged me. It challenged me in a way that a dad would. 
he didn't go over the doctrine of justification. He didn't go over outlines in the book of Romans. He didn't analyze my teaching and my preaching. He didn't tell me how to do a hospital visit. It was the heart. It was my character and the lack thereof and these desperate challenges that I, I needed. And I went from Calvary Chapel, Nampa to Rocky Mountain Calvary here to be the junior high youth pastor. And as I was leaving, he ordained me in ministry and gave me some exhortation that he saw was needed in my life as I came here. And throughout my years in ministry, he's continued to be a faithful friend and loved and, and cared for me. And that's what I see in the Apostle Paul. That's what I see in, in Paul is that he wasn't simply an instructor, but he was a father. So let's try to apply these three points. First is faithfulness, is don't abandon faithfulness. It's an easy time to abandon faithfulness, but be encouraged in God's word and allow God to equip you through his power and his might to be faithful in the Lord. And if that's where you're at tonight, is choose faithfulness. And then, are we willing to be a fool for Christ? Are we willing to accept suffering and shame for the cause of Christ? Are we in this place where we want to be distinguished and we want to be honored? Or are we more concerned with being identified with Christ? And then, as a father, giving that parental care is receive parental care inside of the body of Christ. If God has put someone in your life that has that parental care, is receive that from them, that rich right in your life. But then also, is it time for you to give that parental care to someone else? Is it for you to care for them, not just as an instructor, but the way that a father would care for a child to really get into their life and to challenge them when needed and to love them and encourage them? So bear with me for just a moment as I close tonight, as I want to share my heart with you, with Rocky Mountain Calvary, is having been in the hospital, having been so close to possibly going into a coma and maybe even passing away, is being in the hospital for two nights, three days without being able to have visitors, it has deepened my perspective on what is important. And what is absolutely most important for all of us is to love, 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 love Jesus. Love him, because he loves you. I wanna remind you that you are loved by Christ to the point where he went to the cross for you. You specifically. And in response to that love, in response to that grace, in response to that mercy that he has given to us, is love him. You're never going to regret loving Christ. If you've fallen away from the Lord, come back to the Lord. If you're walking strong with the Lord, keep walking strong with him, but love him. But then also is love others well. Love others well. All I could think about as I was laying in that hospital bed is, God, please just allow me to continue to be able to be a husband, to continue to be able to be a dad. 
I appreciate Amber and the kids so much more. I've always appreciated them, but that has, has been deepened. I'm so thankful that this type 1 diabetes is something that can be managed through insulin and I can live a healthy and active life and Lord willing, continue to be there for my kids. But the truth is, is we don't know when we're going to be pulled out of here. You know, we think we've got 10 more years or 20 more years or 40 more years, but we could go home to be with the Lord this week. So don't take those around you for granted even after this live stream, to take time to communicate to your spouse and to your kids your love for them. If you're single, taking that time to express your love to your family, your parents, your, those that are close to you, your friends. But to allow the love of God to even go out further. Yes, to our families, but in our workplace, in our, our neighborhoods, what really matters is loving Christ and loving others well. And go for it. Go for it. You've only got one life to live. We don't know how long it is. And let's live it in God's love, expressing that love to others. Would you pray with me? Father, we we thank you for your love for us. We pray that you would awaken us to your love, the reality of who you are. God, I pray your blessing on Rocky Mountain Calvary. Would you cause your face to shine upon him? Would you give him peace? Meet their needs, God. We choose right now to love you. We, we choose to respond to your greatness, your goodness, and declare to you, Jesus, we love you. And would you bless our relationships with our families? God, would you bless the marriages and the singles and the single moms and the dads and bless relationship with kids? Lord, what a blessing family is. And allow your love to be expressed through, through our lives. So God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. If you don't know Christ as your savior, if you haven't made that decision to trust him for salvation, we're available right now as a service ends. Would you let us know in the comments and the chats, I'd like to receive Christ as my savior. I'm ready to repent of my sin, to trust that he died for me and rose again and invite him to be the Lord of my life. It's a free gift, but you've got to accept it. God really does love you and you receive salvation through faith. So go to the comments, go to the chat, say, Jesus, I want to receive you as my savior. And a person will then follow up with you, a pastor, and give you an opportunity to receive Christ. You can also turn to Christ right there, right where you're at, in your family room, as you're sitting outside on your phone, cry out to the Lord, Jesus, save me and be the Lord of my life. Also, we're available right now to be able to pray with you and to to pray for you. And I know firsthand the power of prayer in my life right now. So if you need prayer, please open up and, and express, would you pray for me? The Apostle Paul, he was willing to be able to say, I'm hard pressed, but not crushed. So open up, open up right now on those comments in the chats and say, would you pray for me? This is what is going on in my life. God is going to be faithful. God is going to get us through this and he's going to see us to the other side. Let's worship together.